Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. Uh, so thousands of years after, or not thousands, but uh, 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 I guess it would be a long time before that, or after that, sorry, hundreds of years after that, uh, in the 1930s, uh, in the United States of America, it really started to boom. Nobody knows where it originated originally, uh, but there was a huge boom in the Pennsylvania area right off the bat. Uh, and all the Pennsylvanians, you can blame this for this. All you Steeler fans, this is your fault. Uh, I look at a few of you in this room. Uh, th- these jokes really kind of took off. They started being put on the cover of, uh, uh, of, of grocery stores and different locations and marketing. Uh, it really became very popular on the radio. Even politicians were uh, right in that time period. Presidential candidates, uh, especially in that, that area of Pennsylvania, were using these jokes. And no matter how hard we try, we still can't. No bell. No bell. That's why I knocked. <laughs> knock, knock. Figs. Figs the doorbell, it's not working. <laughs> and find out. I know, these are just horrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Knock, knock. How? How will you know until you open the door? Knock, knock. Boo. Why are you crying? Okay, okay, okay. These are knock, knock jokes. I am sorry. But because of what we're talking about, I thought that's a knock joke. We asked this running around uh, our neighborhoods this evening, all knocking on doors. But a real question comes up when something is knocking, who's there? Who's there? Because what if there's something knocking on your door more than just a child with candy? And I don't mean just the door of your home. I mean your spiritual door, what we would call the door of your heart. (laughs) What, What if you've locked your door of your house from unwanted guests, but left the door of your heart wide open? Hmm. What if we're much more safety conscious about the physical things, but not the spiritual things that actually do the greatest damage to us, not the physical things? How many of you have left your heart open to somebody who took it and broke it? Don't lie. (coughs) That's a painful way to live. And the Bible talks about this idea quite a bit. Opening your heart and what's standing at the door and, 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 and protecting your heart and guarding your heart. And, and this idea that the enemy wants to come in uh, through the spiritual avenues in your life. But we want to go all the way back uh, to the beginning. Way, way, way back. Thousands of years ago. Some people would say even longer. But way, way, way back to the dawn of human existence on this earth and this family by the name of Adam and Eve. And there's a, there's a law firsty way of saying, understanding the Bible or studying the Bible or interpreting the hermeneutics. There's a, there's a law of first impressions or I'm sorry, a, a first mention. This law basically says that the first time something is mentioned, it becomes a foundation for everything else to be taught after that. Everything is built off of it. So that first mention is extremely important because you can learn see it in the 
reflect back to the first one, right? We're building on top of that. It becomes the fabric that everything else is made off of. And, and all the way back in the first mention, this person by the name of Moses is writing the account of Adam and Eve and this dysfunctional family that starts and starts so well and poorly. And this dysfunctional family uh, gets kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. Most of you know this story. Uh, and then out of that dysfunctional family starts the next level of dysfunction because you know it always goes deeper. By the way, did you bring your shovel this morning? Because we're going to go deep. We're going to go deep. We're going to go in layers. If you don't catch on to the beginning, you're not going to get to the end. So just trust me. We're going to dig holes and we're going to go deeper into some stuff that you might not be used to hearing. And so, and so this dysfunctional family has dysfunctional Lest you come in here and you act like everything in your family is perfect, it cannot be because the law of first mention says your family has some kind of dysfunction. I don't care if you're the cleavers or if you're the, I don't even know what else, you know, you're the, you're the I'm just trying to think of the Fresh Prince their family, but they were obviously functional. It was fun. Couldn't think of their life. But it doesn't matter what your family is. There's a level of dysfunction there. And if the first family has it, you're going to have it. And so, so you pick up the story in Genesis chapter four, verses uh, one through eight. It says, um, it says, uh, Adam turned on some boys to men and made love to his wife, Eve. <clears throat> That's my interpretation. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So Abel, brother of the older brother, Cain. Now, Abel and Cain worked the soil. He was the farmer. He was harvesting. Uh, Abel was the one working with sheep and animals like that. In the course of time, Cain brought forth, <clears throat> in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. Fat portions were important because that was uh, more expensive than the meat portions. That was considered a delicacy at the time. There's more meat than there is fat. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain... His offering did not, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Oh man, if you don't rule over it, it'll rule over you. I promise you that. Verse eight, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? <laughs> I know. I don't know. <laughs> he replied, am I my brother's keeper? By the way, the answer to that is yes. When you're like the first family and the only ones on the planet earth, yeah, you kind of are. The Lord said, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground hours. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. Or now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. You could keep reading further about the curse if you wanted to, but for today's message, we'll stop there. All right, so today, uh, normally I always give you three points. If you come to our church very often, I generally always have three points. I don't know why. Um, I've just been doing that forever and it makes sense in my mind. Today, I'm giving you a bonus points. We're going into extra periods because I'm giving you a fourth point. But if you don't get the first point, you definitely aren't gonna get the fourth point. So we're gonna take it layer upon layer. And starting with this, disappointment breeds offense. Disappointment breeds offense. 
This spider bite of disappointment is breeding offense within his life. And, and there's a lot of controversy about why Cain's offering was not accepted. In fact, people still talk about it to this day. Nobody knows for certain why God accepted, why he accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's offering. There's a lot of ideas. Robert Morris would say it's because uh, Abel's offering was a first fruits offering and Cain's was not. Because it does say that Abel brought the first of his fruits and it doesn't say that about Cain. There's also another way that I, I want to point out uh, today, another reason why that might have been, uh, and that is that there are symbols going on. In fact, if you were to go to Hebrews, go to that next slide, Hebrews uh, chapter number 11, verse 4, says, by faith, somebody say by faith. by faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. What's the next words? By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And what? By faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. What is he speaking? We'll get to that later. <coughs> so the, the reason for this seems to be somewhere in there by faith. Now that could be a first fruits thing. But it could also be a little deeper than that as well. And I want to take us a little bit deeper into what it could be and what some theologians would say that it probably was. And that is the symbolism that happens right here. Cain brings an offering from the fruit of the land. There's nothing wrong with that offering. In fact, that offering would probably be incredibly aesthetically pleasing, right? We, we are almost in Thanksgiving time and we have the cornucopias that'll come out and, and all of those things, the pumpkins, the beauty of the, the berries and all the stuff that you put in that. And, and when you present it to somebody, it's very pretty. Anybody ever gotten a fruit basket? I like fruit baskets. Don't everybody send me a fruit basket. Sometimes I say stuff and then like everybody sends it and I'm like, I can't eat that much. But, um, but, but I like fruit baskets. Fruit baskets are nice, right? We like that. And they're very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. They're very beautiful. Meanwhile, you have Abel bringing something that's not aesthetically pleasing at all. He's bringing a slaughtered animal. Oh yeah, we all want that coming up on our doorstep, don't we, right? We want, you know, we, instead of sending a fruit basket to your boss, send him a slaughtered animal and tell him it's from God, right? Um, not sure how well that'll go over, but he's bringing a slaughtered animal. His hands are greasy with blood. He, he is messy. It is ugly, but yet God accepts the animal sacrifice, not the plant sacrifice. Why is that? Well, according to Hebrews, you have this faith element that's in there. There has to be some kind of connection with faith. What is it about this faith? And both of these become symbolic of what uh, they represent. You remember that Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and, and Eve, quote, plucks the apple. Now, of course, it wasn't actually an apple. I hope nobody actually thinks it's an apple in here, but it was a fruit. It, did, it was a harvest, a produce from the land. And Cain brings from that place that caused sin an offering back to God. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Later on, they would be allowed to bring fruit offerings and, and harvest offerings. There was nothing in that case necessarily wrong with it. But he brings back something that's symbolic of the fall. Meanwhile, Abel is bringing something that's symbolic of God's redemption after the fall. Remember, uh, after, as soon as, as soon as the fall happens, uh, God's walking in the cool of the day as he always does and looks over and says, where are you? And they're hiding. And they said, because we're naked. And God's like, who told you you were naked? And, and all that. Uh, and the first thing that God does right there is makes for them coverings of animals. The first animals that were ever killed are meant to be coverings for the humans so that they would hide their nakedness, uh, that they were always naked, but they never, they never realized it. And so he, 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 he covers them with bloody garments, so to speak. 
Therefore, you can see from that law first mentioned right off the bat, uh, you see that this, this, this blood represents the redemption in God's plan right off the bat. So there's nothing quote unquote wrong with the produce, but symbolically you have two different symbols going on. And symbolically you have this produce that points back to a, a fall and you have this blood that points to redemption. Are you with me? And so, so could it be that that's actually what's going on right here in this, that the reason why God did not accept Cain's offering is because Cain's offering was a symbol of the fall instead of a symbol of God's redemption. And God's saying, listen, if you're going to bring me an offering, I want it to be a symbol of where we're going, not just, not just where we've been. So with that in mind, let me just ask this question um, because I, I want to camp here for just a second because this is a pop culture question right now with the politics of our world. Uh, some people might get offended. Um, I, don't, I don't care. My job is to preach the gospel and you can get offended all you want. Everybody say amen. Just make me feel good. Let me, let me ask you this question. Um, was God treating Cain unfairly? Was God, uh, was there an injustice that was done by God to Cain? Well, it can't be because God's pillars are justice according to the psalmist. He is built on justice. And we're having a lot of talk about justice. And maybe we'll mention it a few times in this message in our society today. But, but, but is God being injustice? See, God gave Cain the opportunity to be accepted. He said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I've given you the opportunity. And I want to say that God's, God's no respecter of persons but he is a respecter of principles. And when you have principles, God will allow you to walk into his blessing based on our actions and what we do. And if Cain did what Abel did, then he would have got what Abel got. Are you with me? See, Cain hated Abel because God liked him, but God liked Cain just as much as he liked Abel. He was trying to lead him into a place where he could receive his blessing. He wasn't, this was not about injustice. And I want to point this out because there's a lot of talk nowadays and we all need to have a biblical view on things that justice is not equal outcomes, it's equal opportunities. That's how justice works. Uh, Cain had the opportunity to be made right, but instead he decided to take the wrong route as we just read and we'll come across again in a minute. So be careful of modern theories that want equal outcomes. Let me tell you why. One, you could do a worldly perspective and say it's never happened in the history of the planet Earth. But secondly, it's not even going to happen in heaven. The chief of justice, when you get to heaven, you will not have all equal outcomes because you will be rewarded based on what you do on earth. And some people will be rewarded greater than other people when you get to heaven. Are you with me? You all have the equal opportunity to receive those rewards, but not everybody will receive them. But yet heaven is a place of justice. Are are you with me? And so, so it's not even in heaven will you have everybody have and, and do exactly the same thing. And so what happens, and, and be this what it may, I'm not asking you to stone me, but just listen to me. Much of what we call or what is being called sometimes justice in nowadays is really vengeance. And it looks a lot like the spirit of Cain. I'll pause just to let that sink in. It's not about justice. It's about they got something that I don't have. I got to get vengeance on them. Now there's a place for justice and the church needs to be leading in this. And we've done a horrible job in the past and it is very much a part of our future in the vision of not only our church, but I think churches in general. But we do need to recognize that we cannot have the spirit of Cain that just wants to destroy somebody because they're blessed. That's not, that's not justice. That's, that's vengeance. Okay. Are we good so far? 
All right, let's keep going. Number two, number two, let's dig a little deeper. An offense is a doorway or an opportunity for evil. Well, what does he say in verse seven? He said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule over it. You must rule over it. See, see the opportunity for good or evil is given to Cain in this moment. You can have good come out of it. You can have blessings or you can have curses. It's up to you, Cain, which one you do. Because sin is crouching at the doorway of that opportunity waiting to pounce. But so is blessing. Can I just tell you, this is the very first trick-or-treating in the Bible. He's saying, listen, you can go to this doorway over here. You go to this door and sin will be sitting there ready to pounce. And you better watch out. Because when you open that door, there's something on the other side of it. And you need to know, right? Knock, knock. Knock, knock. You better know who's there or you're going to get caught by something you didn't want to get caught by. But the same way that sin is crouching at your door, God's opportunity for blessing is also at your door. And it's up to you which one you're going to let in. So you can walk in the blessing of God or you can walk in the destruction of God based on which one you let in your door. Because both opportunities are there. Both are, in every doorway is this opportunity. And right now you have this opportunity of all these kids coming to your trick-or-treating door and they might look like devils, but maybe they leave as saints. Maybe there's something deeper going on. See, see, this is how I see this happening with him. Um, this is just how I see it happening. It's not biblical. It's just my impression of what I see happening because Cain gets offended. Have you ever been offended? Yep. If you said no, you're a liar. <laughs> and I just offended you. So we're all good. Um, Cain gets offended and he's frustrated. And like often happens in that setting, he begins musing it over in his mind. Stupid offering. Who made us do this offering in the first place? I worked my tail off. I was out there in the hot sun. Where was God during that? He was in his heaven. It's probably air conditioned up there. I was up there in the, in the garden and I was tilling my own soil and I was growing my own produce and I was working with these hands. I got calluses on these hands from where I worked on these hands. And this is not fair. God is not fair for that matter because I did more work. He didn't, my, Abel didn't even do anything. Abel's out there watching sheep. That's not work to watch sheep for crying out loud. I've got my hands in the dirt. This is not fair. So then he goes to his workplace and he tells his unbelieving brother, buddy, I'm sorry, his unbelieving buddy, Y'all know this is not biblical. They're the only ones on the planet. But, but he goes to, and he's like, he's like, can you believe what my brother did? He did this and he did this. And God accepted his offering and not my offering. And the buddy's like, yeah, that's just wrong. And he's like, yeah, and it's, and it's just getting deeper and getting heavier. And he's getting more and more and more and frustrated. And he's like, you know what? You know, I never liked Abel anyway. That little spoiled little brat. He was always a mama's boy. Mama always gave him everything. He's that little brother. Like I had to work. I had to do everything extra, but Abel just had everything given to him too. And now God's going to give him stuff too and not going to give it to me. And everybody does this. And he's getting really frustrated. That spoiled little brother of his. And I think he begins thinking something like this. God, if you want a blood sacrifice, well, I'll give you a blood sacrifice. And if you want it from a perfect spotless lamb, 
Well, according to you, apparently, Abel is this perfect, spotless little, ain't never done nothing wrong little brother of mine. God, I'll give you a blood sacrifice if you want it. And this man who wouldn't kill a lamb is ready to kill his brother. It's funny how that little spider bite grows into a tarantula that holds you down. <laughs> Causes you to do things you would have never done, but you allow it to fester. You allow it to grow. And before you know it, you find yourself wrapped up in a cobweb. You find yourself wrapped up in spiders because you didn't kill it when it was little. And that's where he's finding himself right now. He wouldn't have killed his brother at start. I think it, he mused it over in his mind for way too long. And we often open doors to what seems like little innocent devils. And so we come to the doors of life and we open them up to these little devils. And we think, oh, how cute. How, how cute, it ain't gonna hurt nothing. How, how cute these little devils are. And we don't realize these little demons grow into big demons. These little things that we tolerate keep growing into bigger things. And these things we muse over in our minds and we keep, we, keep, we keep festering inside of us and keep letting them grow and talking to other people who don't help <laughs> instead of talking to God. Right. And maybe we talk to God, but we certainly don't listen in those moments. And we don't realize that sin is waiting at the door and he's ready to pounce. This law first mentioned, recognize that Thousands of years later, this disciple by the name of Jesus, or by the name of Peter, this disciple of Jesus by the name of Peter would say this. He would say, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It sounds a lot like Peter's description of the devil all the way back in Genesis 4. This sin is crouching at the door wanting to have you. Peter says it wants to devour you. You are that person that they want to devour. But what happens are these little, these little goblins, these little ghosts look cute and they seem to be socially acceptable so far, so, for, so commonly in our society. <coughs> and, and I just wanna say, tricks often masquerade as treats. Tricks often masquerade as treats. Things that look like treats Things that look amazing oftentimes are really tricks in the end. You know, some of you married that one. You married a trick, found out it was a treat. Married a, yeah, yeah, backwards. You married a, what you thought was a treat and found out it was a trick. Did I say that backwards? You know what I meant. You know it, you know it. So some of you got involved in that business opportunity with that thing you thought was a treat, but then you found out it was a trick. You started a job and you thought this, this job is a treat. It's going to be awesome only to find out it grew up into a trick. I, I talked to somebody uh, just in between services this morning and the way their job did them, they were pulling them along saying that they were going to keep them as they were, they were changing the whole organizational structure only to find out at the end as they were dragging them along, offering a treat to find out it was a trick the whole time and they never intended to keep him. They were just trying to keep him as long as they could. Have you been there? Yep. Have you been there? See, the problems with tricks is that they're so darn tricky. If they weren't tricky, they wouldn't have been tricked by them. But they're so tricky. And Satan is a trickster, trickster all the way back from the Garden of Eden to the present day. His native tongue is lies. He's tricky. He's tricky. He's tricky. So, so you got to ask the question, knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? You got to know who's at your door because if you just open the door to everything, what looks good might be bad and what looks bad might actually be good. Have you ever walked through times in your life where you went through hell and you thought, God, what is this? Only to get on the other side of it and go, God, you were right there. All this, what I thought was to harm me is actually good. Yeah. 
So, so it can go both ways. You got to know what's on the other side of the door before you open the door or you'll end up in a mess. You end up in a mess. See, see, in our society, we do this a lot because there's a lot of, a lot of things that are, that are tolerated uh, that are considered good in our society that if we're not careful, they grow up into a giant spider that wraps us in its own web. Um, I know I've talked about this before and I know some of you will turn me off immediately, but just listen to the Holy Spirit. I can only tell you this, horror movies, which are so common and so popular in our society are the atmosphere in which the devil moves. I've said this before, fear is the environment of hell. Now, I'm not like beating anybody up. I'm just, I'm just explaining to you what you might not have known. You can do what you want with your knowledge based on your walk with the Lord. But fear is the environment of hell. Uh, in, in fact, we live in a world right now that is full of fear right. and, and darkness is running wild, right? And it's fear on all kinds of ways. Some people are, some people are fear of, fearful of COVID. That gets a lot of attention. But then there's a lot of people that are fearful of a vaccine. Fear is running rampant all over the place. Uh, we need to be people that are not subjecting ourselves to fear. And so when we put ourselves in an environment of fear, it's a lot like the church putting themselves in the environment of worship or in the environment of faith. Because faith is the environment of heaven. This is why we always worship before we give a word. Because we want you to be full of faith so that when you get the word, you can receive the word. Because worship creates both faith and fear. Whatever you're worshiping will create it, right? So, so if, you, if you are, when, when I say worshiping, I know most of you don't bow down to your fears and lift your hands and, oh, I love you, fear, you know. I, I know we don't do that, obviously. Worship is just ascribing worth to something, giving it grandeur, making it bigger than it is, magnifying it, making it larger than it actually is. When you have a fear and all you can think about is that fear, and if I don't do this, this is gonna happen, and I'm just, I'm not sure what's gonna happen in my world, and you focus on it, you focus on it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and what started as a small thing ends up enveloping you. Why? But when you focus on God, and when you focus on his goodness in your life, and you start magnifying that, it starts to envelop you. Fear is the environment of hell. And so when you put yourself, I don't care how popular it is in society. I don't care if you tune me out. I just have to say what the Lord gives me to say. I don't care how popular it is in society. When you put yourself in the environment of fear purposely, not to bring a light, but purposely to enjoy this environment, it's not unlike coming to church, purposely putting yourself in the environment of heaven in the middle of a worship service. Things will touch you during worship. Come on, somebody. If you're not careful, things will touch you during a horror movie. Things will touch you. <laughs> Can y'all handle this? I know somebody, I ain't even listening to you, Pastor. Whatever. Things, things will touch you because you put yourself in an environment that you were never supposed to be in. Spirits move. Demons and angels, God and spirits. But, but there is no fear in love, John would say in 1 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Anytime we are becoming overwhelmed with fear, I promise you that is not of God because that's not the spirit that God gives us. So we gotta be careful of this, man. There's all kinds of these, these little open doors that we allow to grow into things. We, we open the door and this thing comes in and it seems small, it seems like it's no big deal. It's just kind of fun. It's what everybody does, it's socially acceptable. It could be certain musics that we listen to. It could be the movies that we watch, comes in our eyes and ears gates. It could be materialism and everybody has this and everybody has that. And, and that car that you wanted was a treat until you had to pay for it and it became a trick, come on. It could be pornography and it's just a little treat that you have on the side and nobody knows. 
grows, but before you know it, it grows up and it's controlling your mind all of a sudden. And it starts out as a little treat and it ends up in a trick. My, my, my point is, it could be unforgiveness. It could be all kinds of things. My point is, you better know who's on the other side of that door before you open it. Right. Knock, knock. You got to know who's there. If you don't know who's there, don't open the door. Come on, somebody. You've seen enough horror movies. I know we just preached about it to know if you knock on the door, if they knock on the door and you look out the peephole and nobody's there, you're like, I ain't opening that door. There's something weird going on on there. Something weird. Don't open the door when you don't know what it is. And so open doors create these opportunities and, and it's opportunities for, for burglary of things and it's opportunities for blessing, but opportunity to steal things that God wants to give you. Um, open doors create opportunities for burglary. So, so um, there was a time in America, some of you lived through it, I've, I've seen it in parts of the country in my lifetime, where you didn't lock your doors because you didn't worry about burglaries. You didn't have to think about it so much. You lived in small town USA somewhere and you really didn't have to worry about it. Um, but pretty much by and large, those times are gone everywhere. Even in the country, even out in the sticks somewhere, they still lock their doors. Nowadays, it's a different world. And, and you get out of your car and the first thing you do is, is lock your car. Uh, unless your wife, she takes my keys and locks my car for me because she always has a fear I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> and so we lock your car because you don't want somebody stealing something. You don't want somebody taking something from you. And, but there was a day you didn't have to do that. Can I tell you, there might've been a time when you didn't have to guard your heart and lock your heart up nearly as much as you do today. Yeah. Years ago, maybe there wasn't quite so many things trying to jump on you and trying to attack you and trying to ruin your life. But now we live in a world where darkness is all over the place. And if you're not careful, if you don't keep that, that locked, if you don't keep yourself clean, all of a sudden those things wanna come at you, man. And we gotta be, we gotta be very cautious because they wanna steal the things that God has for us. And so, so when we come over to these doors and we see these demons trying to get us, we, we gotta say those old things like, um, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Anybody remember that? Where's my island people at? Shut the door, keep out the devil. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. Anybody remember that? Where are my island people at? Come on. <clears throat> or if you're just an arise person, you say, not today, Satan. <laughs> not today, Satan. So we got to shut those doors. So what do we need to do? We need to close the doors on the enemy and open the doors on heaven. Some of us are trying to keep both doors open. We're trying to keep both cracked. And, and light and darkness have nothing to do with one another. That's right. That's right. And we're trying to have a little bit of both. And that's, that's a problem. So we can't open the door to everything, everything that knocks, everything the knocks, but can we keep going deeper? <clears throat> I told you, if you don't get the first two, you're not gonna get a third one. You're definitely not gonna get the fourth one. So, so, so Cain opens that door and vengeance instead of repentance comes in. Instead of walking in God's blessing and, and seeing what God has for him, he decides to take vengeance in his own hands. So he sends an invitation. Hey, Cain, <laughs> what you doing, buddy? Wanna come hang out with me? Verse eight would say, now Cain said to his brother, let's go out into the field. This is what I know about this situation. I am confident Cain didn't say, hey, Abel, come out into the field with me. I want to kill you. Right. I think Abel's smart enough to go, yeah, I probably won't do that one. He's like, hey, Abel, come out of here. Let me, let me show you. Let me show you my new corn. Right. <laughs> Cain or Abel, come on out here. Let me, let me take you fishing. I want to show you this new spot I just found out in the field. And he said, he said, come on out here with me. You know, you know, that's how the enemy works. He never tells you the outcome. Oh, just, just, just go on this date. Just do this little thing. Just, you, you, can, you can just buy that on that credit card. It's all good. And it's, this, it looks like a treat. 
Abel probably thought it was a treat, ends up becoming this trick. I want to say this, number three, battles happen within territories. Mm, now we're going somewhere. Cain says, come on over here onto, onto my, my territory. <laughs> I don't want to fight you on your territory. Come over here on my territory. Lo location matters. When we're talking about physical battles and physical wars, then obviously there are territories that exchange hands in those moments. Battlefronts where you push the front or get pushed back. And just like that, there are physical territory or spiritual territories that, 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 that affect and get pushed back and forth and get claimed of different owners. So what are you talking about, Pastor Brent? Let me say it this way. Have you ever walked through a place and felt demonic things when you walked through? I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm glad we got some spiritual folk up in here. Because um, we've all had, or many of us have had these moments that, that maybe you walk through a room. I remember one time I was in a, a cruise ship and I walked through the casino going through somewhere. And I promise you, I walked through the casino and I was like, what was that? Like there's something demonic going on in this place right here. And I'm not like the anti-casino, whatever, but I just, you're just walking through and you felt it, man. Some of you have houses, right? And you're just like the poltergeist house, right? You walked into this person's house and you're like, man, there's something going on in this house. I don't know what has gone on. We do, we do uh, property dedications and home dedications sometimes. And many times that's just a sign of dedicating and giving over to the Lord. But sometimes they're like, man, there was some witchcraft and some junk that was going on in this house before. And, and we need to get that junk out, man. We need to evict the devil out of this house. Are you with me? So there are, there are places uh, that, are, that are consecrated or given over or dedicated to the devil. We know that. Locations, areas, and it's our job to go in and evict the devil out of those places. But can I tell you, there are also days that are some kind given over to the devil and consecrated and dedicated to the devil. And Halloween is one of those days. Talk to any former Satanist or uh, witch or warlock. We have several inside of our church. Uh, there's one on a YouTube video that we interviewed about this a while back. Talk to any of them and they'll tell you, you, you can ignore it all you want, but that is their high holy day. That is their version of Easter. It's like their biggest day of the year. Not that they don't do their witchcraft other days of the year, but this is like the day, right? We all celebrate evil on that day. So, so there's these territories between days on the calendar and physical places that we go. Um, that, that, that affect. Just keep that in the back of your mind for a second. Just, just catch that there. So, so Cain plots to kill his brother by taking him into his territory. <laughs> I'm not going to kill him in front of the presence of my mom and dad. <laughs> I'm not going to do it back at home. I'm not going to do it on his territory. But come over into my territory. Come over into my way. And he lure, lure, lures him away in this, in this way. He says, hey, come on over into my territory, into my element where, where I have authority, where I know where the weapons are. Can I tell you that Cain and Abel are a foreshadowing of Jesus and the devil? Get your shovel. Many of you have never made this connection before, but when you talk to theologians who talk about this, Abel had to go into another territory. It's a type of Christ going from heaven to earth that he would be leaving the territory of his father where he was in complete ownership and rule and reign and stepping into a world which the devil ran in a lot of ways that he was cast down into. Here Jesus comes, I mean Abel, leaving his territory, coming into an area with a different ruler. 
The, the devil wouldn't kill him in the presence of God. The devil wouldn't attack him in the presence of God. He said, come, come down here to my area. Oh, my goodness. His brother killed him. Cain killed Abel. His brother killed him. And make no mistake, that was important because Jesus came to his own and they received him not. There's a foreshadowing that's happening right here. Cain kills him and apparently hides his remains, apparently in the dirt, because it's in the dirt, in the blood and the dirt that are crying back out to God later on that we haven't, got quite to, haven't quite gotten to again. But he's, he, inside this dirt, he hids him. Jesus is killed and put into a borrowed tomb and hidden for three days. But, <laughs> but, 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 the blood was speaking. But the blood was speaking. Mom and dad are like, where's Abel? I don't know. Well, that's weird. Maybe he went off for a trip somewhere. But the blood was speaking. And Cain and Abel couldn't hear it. But the father could hear it. The heavenly father, God. And, and, and Adam and Eve couldn't hear it, but God could hear it. And so he comes back down to Cain. He says, hey, Cain, what you doing? <laughs> Where's your brother? Oh, it's like every kid when you ask him, you know, what happened to the lamp? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what, what's going on here, Cain? He said, because I hear the sound of your brother's blood crying out. That's weird. You can't hear that sound. I can't hear that sound. I have never heard blood crying out. It's the blood of injustice that was done to him crying out in the spirit because make sure you know that you are not you are more than your physical body and life is in the blood and that life is crying out to justice and God is coming down and going hey what's going on down here what's happening around this thing now and the blood of Abel was crying out but can I tell you that Jesus's blood cries out as well and blood of Abel cried out for justice for his for what had happened to him but the blood of Jesus cries out for justice and for redemption for you and I. And you might not be able to hear it, but when you wash yourself, when you cover yourself in the blood of Jesus, all of a sudden God is hearing the voice of Jesus instead of the voice of your sin. The blood speaks. Hebrews chapter 12 would mention this. It says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. <laughs> it's speaking something better than what Abel's blood spot spoke. There's something deeper going on. There's something bigger going on that now this blood is speaking of your redemption. Oh, Cain succeeded, but he lost. He succeeded in killing his brother, but he was cursed. Can I tell you that the devil succeeded in putting Jesus on a cross, but he lost the ultimate thing and he was cursed. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. See, Cain and Abel are pictures of the blood sacrifice of an innocent man, which became Jesus once and for all. Hebrews 9 would say he did not enter by means of blood of, of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, redemption, redemption. Have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Because it is the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word that redeems you out of your sin. So you're not just in the grave, you come out of the grave. It's a picture here of Jesus and the devil. All right, can we take it to the fourth point? Are y'all with me so far? Yes. 
All the guys who are falling asleep, just ask your wife later. Take it a, a tad bit deeper. We're, we're going deep. Number four, spiritual warfare involves a hostile takeover of territories. Mm. Mm. Notice, notice these territories and what's going on with this, this come into my territory and certain things own certain territories and, and, and we've given allegiance in certain territories. There, there's spiritual warfare is not unlike physical warfare. It involves taking over territories that belong to somebody else or protecting your own territory sometime, but it definitely involves territories. That's why Jesus would say from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force because there's a level, there's a fight that has to go on that you are fighting spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that you can't see with your natural eyes all the time. And there's a cosmic battle happening in the spirit realm. And just like the physical realm, territories swap hands. Territories swap hands. Anybody in here, you used to be part of the kingdom of darkness. Like you might not use that terminology. It's not what you use. It's not very properly right now, but the Bible is very clear. You were part of the kingdom of darkness and you have been redeemed spiritual warfare. And now you are in the kingdom of light. You are a territory that used to be one thing and now is another thing. Or you're a territory that is about to be made something in the service today. Maybe you're about to give your life to Christ and a hostile takeover is about to go on. Because the light always overshadows the darkness. See, Colossians 1 would say, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom he has, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> we're in this process of redemption, but we're also leading redemption. So, so, so Jesus, Cain stepped into hostile territory and he's destroyed and, and, and dies. Jesus steps into hostile territory on this earth and he's killed but three days later, he rises again. He goes into the place that the man of the earth couldn't handle, but the man of heaven could be redeemed. So that you and I in the places of evil can also be redeemed. I've heard stories. I got a good friend of mine. He's a missionary now. He was saved in a drug house laying on the floor. Johnny Turpin goes to our church. He's our youth pastor in our South Shore campus. Johnny Turpin will tell stories about God touching him in the middle of his sin and his brokenness in the middle of a house he should have never been in. And God's presence, whoop, whose territory was that? Whose territory? No, no, no. Because when light steps into darkness, it lights up. And that's why you and I have a responsibility to step into darkness and bring redemption with the light of Jesus Christ. And Jesus becomes this, 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 this picture. We have this gift of reconciliation, but we also get to work with him in redemption and taking dark places and turning them back into light places. One of the worst things we ever did was call these rooms sanctuaries because it, calls, it creates a picture in our mind like it's a safe place. Like, like we, just, we just retreat from the world and we come into this safe place where nothing's gonna hurt us and we're protected from the devil and all this kind of stuff. You should call this a war room. This is not a safe, where, where, Christianity was never meant to be safe. 
Tell that to the early Christians who were martyred for their beliefs and stood up against persecution and hardship and lost everything to follow Christ. It was never meant to be safe. Christianity was meant to be bold and courageous and go out. We're not supposed to hide in the light. We run into darkness. See, the whole point of light is to dispel darkness, to dispel darkness. So that's, 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 that's our job. And so you and I taking on the modus operandus of Jesus, taking on the, the, the spirit of Jesus now step into enemy territories. You were Jason Bourne, a James Bond. You, you're stepping into the enemy's world and you redeem it for Jesus. This is why we'll send teams from our church to a strip club in the midst of darkness. We'll send some of the ladies, my wife oftentimes goes with them. We'll send some of the ladies to the strip club to go love on ladies in the midst of darkness to bring light. We don't run from it. Once you get to the maturity level, you run into it. I think what happens oftentimes when a person first gets saved, it's a very wise thing to come out from evil and run from it. You don't have the tolerance. You don't have the maturity. You can't handle it. Uh, it is what it is in that moment. And, and so you have to build up a strength so that you're not tempted by everything that you used to be tempted by. And so when that happens, you run away from darkness. And that's a very healthy thing to do. However, once you reach a level of maturity, you don't just run away from darkness anymore. You run back into darkness. Now you're not tempted by it. Now you're not being overshadowed by them. You are overshadowing them. And so we run back into light. That, that's why we walk into the evils of corporate America. That's why we step into places of rape and abuse, places of injustice, houses and, and bars with broken people and all of these different things. And the church is called to go into those places because the problem with America is not darkness, it's the absence of light. And when the Christians all come together and we act like we're a light in here because we're all safe and nice, and then we go out there and be just like the darkness, the problem isn't them, it's us. Are you with me? <laughs> See, the point of light is to dispel darkness and you are the light of the world. That word you in the Greek is emphatic. It's like you alone, only you, like you are it guys, you're it. And if we got a problem with darkness in the world, the problem isn't darkness, of course it's dark. The problem is the absence of light. So now let's make this really uh, strategic for the moment because we're part of a day right now that is the darkest day of the year for two reasons. One, it literally is the darkest day of the year. That's why it's Halloween. That's why it's celebrated today. Uh, it's the darkest day of the year physically, but spiritually, I don't think there's anybody who would probably argue with it too much. It's the darkest day of the year spiritually. Halloween, uh, talk to any satanic person. They'll talk about what they would do on Halloween and, and, and how they would offer certain sacrifices. And, and it's kind of like their Easter. It's their big day. Lots of evils going on. We celebrate all kinds of evil on Halloween. It's a, it's a beautiful day. It creates this atmosphere of fear. And, and it's a beautiful day for us to worship our deities and all these kind of things, which are the devil. And, and Christians, hear me out. Don't slay me yet. Christians go, ah, Halloween, ah! And we even make these statements. We say, that's the devil's day. That's the devil's day. Who gave them that day? Who, say, say what? Who gave witches and warlocks a day to celebrate? 
I, I didn't give them that day. I've read the Bible a few times. I'm pretty sure it's not in there anywhere. Right. In fact, quite to the contrary, the psalmist would say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Does that include Halloween? I think it does. I think it does. This is the day the Lord has made. So, so what we need to do is not partner with darkness. That's not what I'm talking about, but we need to shine a light. <laughs> Say, what are you talking about, Pastor Brent? What, what, what if you just, what, 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 if, what, what if when that kid comes up to your, to, to your door and he's dressed like a goblin, what if you prophesy over him and lay hands on him that he's the next missionary, he's the next C.S. Lewis, he's the next Smith Wigglesworth, I can't even talk, he's the next man of God, woman of God. What if you just start, what if you just say, I'm not playing your game, you're playing my game. Hey, if you come to my door, you, you can get candy, but you know what else you're going to get? You're going to get a blessing from God. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to bless you. We'll see how many kids keep coming. <laughs> but the ones who come, what if you can redeem what is an ugly holiday and make it good? What if you can go around prophesying over little goblins that they're going to be saints of God? Well, what, what if, I mean, what other day do you get to hang out with your neighbors? Well, what if you went out and said, hey, this is my whole strategy. I'm going to sit on my front porch. I'll give out some candy. But every neighbor that comes by, I'm going to be like, hey, we're going to have a Bible study Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Would you like to come over? You, you can just get them in and be like, hey, Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we're going to have pizza. I would love to get to know your family, da, da, da. And then you just sneak in the Bible study. Whatever. But, but, but. Hey, we're going to have a, a barbecue at our house next Saturday at noon. Why don't you come over for the barbecue? I'd love to have some barbecue. We'll just hang out. And then you just kind of mix the gospel in there. What if we redeemed the day instead of running from the day? Oh, come on. What if, what if like, we got all these singers. I heard y'all during worship. Y'all sound beautiful, some of you. Y'all sound beautiful. And what if, what if you just decided we're just going to walk around and sing worship songs around the neighborhood? The same neighborhood where other kids are, are doing their thing, but we're going to be a light in the middle of this. And we're going to walk around. We're just going to sing glory to God. What's those songs we were singing? We're, gonna, we're, just, gonna, we're just going to worship God as we walk. What if we're going to prayer walk our neighborhoods? What if we're going to go to every street lamppost? Y'all would get really Pentecostal on me. Go to every street lamppost, start anointing it with oil. Every street sign, every corner, learning it with all, just touch every mailbox when you walk by, you know, and touch it every mailbox. <laughs> My point is, you don't run from darkness, you are called to run into darkness. You don't partner with darkness, but you shine a light amidst the darkness. And you have a tremendous opportunity tonight to do that but you gotta think differently. You can't play their game. Well, I'm not playing their game. I'm gonna play my game. I'm gonna turn it into something that I can do. We have, I don't know if there's any left over, but we have Cracker Jack boxes. There's probably not a lot, but that we can give you if you wanna take some with the church cards. You got all those invite cards that are out there on Main Street, take some, pass them out. Come to Restoration Room tonight. We still have that going on. And if you can't go walk in your, like pray the spiritual forces of heaven break forth over this area and the demons just tremble and run. Open the doors of heaven as you shut the doors of hell. Come on, somebody. We are called to step into the enemy's territory and take it captive. Bring light to it and redeem it for Jesus Christ. So go light the night. Go light the night. Go light the night. My goodness. Ephesians 6 would say, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. No, our, our, our battle, our battle is not against a person that's in the flesh. Our battle is against the spiritual forces that are over an area. And it's time for crying out loud. Can I prophesy over you with our church verse that was prophesied thousands of years ago by Isaiah? This said, arise and shine, your light has come. It is time for arise to arise and shine for the light of Jesus Christ has come in your life. So go light the night everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Are y'all with me? Y'all making me sweat. Stand up with me if you would. They started playing keyboard. That means I have to end. (laughs) Let me give you a good example of this. I just heard this story recently, although it happened uh, a number of years ago. There was a, a yoga instructor in Tampa who practiced not only a mild form of yoga, but an extremely intense form of yoga where uh, a lot of times demonic possession happens. And in fact, it happened to him and he, that's part of his story. But, uh, but he uh, taught yoga here at multiple university campuses. One of them was USF. I don't know what the others are. He didn't mention that in the interview, but he said he taught at multiple college campuses. He was a professor teaching, teaching yoga in this particularly evil type of yoga on top of it. And um, he, the newspaper, the Tampa Tribune did an article on him and they wrote about this yoga instructor and the type he practices and blah, blah, blah. And so a local church here in Tampa, when they got the newspaper and they saw it, they didn't do what a lot of Christians do. They didn't boycott him, didn't pick at his house, didn't slash his tires or some nonsense like that. They said, no, we're gonna pray because what we're dealing with is not a person, it's a spiritual force. So we're gonna pray, we're gonna, we're gonna get our intercessors together. We're gonna start praying for this guy because he's a person of influence and we believe that God wants to save him. We believe we're gonna step into hostile territory and take it over into his life, into the spiritual realms that's over him and take it over for the light of Jesus Christ. And so they started praying. They don't know what's going on, obviously behind the scenes. Nobody knows him personally. They just took it upon themselves to pray for this yoga instructor. This yoga instructor, uh, finds himself in an odd place because one of his very closest friends, the people, the person that he really uh, trusted the most uh, in another state somewhere got radically saved, called him. And he's like, hey man, like this thing you're doing, like it ain't gonna work, bro. You're looking, you're looking at the wrong God, man. Like you need to switch this over. And it really rocked him. He's like, man, am I, am I wrong? Like, this is crazy. I can't be wrong about this. And, and so um, he was a man of prayer because uh, yoga's Hindu and he was Hindu. And so he's a man of prayer. And so he just switched his prayers and he said, God, I'm gonna give you a few days. I think it was three days or something. He said, God, if you're real, I want you to show me. Like Jesus, if you're really God, I want you to show me. And so he starts praying and fasting. That was already normal for him. He's just now praying to a different God. He says, Jesus, if you're really real, like, I need to know this. I need to know, I need to know. So a couple days into that, he's walking to the campus. This is what he used to do. That was his, his way of doing things. He's walking to the campus. And uh, as he's walking, uh, uh, down another road, one of the people that were in that intercessory prayer group at the church uh, was going to the laundromat. This tells you how long ago it was, <laughs> but he's going to the laundromat and God says, um, hey, I don't want you to go to that laundromat. The dude's like, God, what are you against my clothes or what? Like, I need to change. I said, I don't want you to go to that laundromat. I want you to turn down this road instead. Wrestled with God a little bit. Come on, you've been there. So that sounds silly. Is that really God? But he chose, he said, all right, I'm gonna do it. Starts going down that road instead. He passes the USF guy. 
and the Lord speaks to him and says, I want you to pick him up. And he doesn't know who he is. Uh, but God says, I want you to pick him up. He's like, God, I don't, I don't pick up hitchhikers. That's, that's, that's just weird. Like, you know, like, haven't you watched enough horror movies, God, to know you don't pick up hitchhikers? <laughs> he says, uh, I'm not going to pick this guy up, God. And, and God's like, yeah, pick him up. He's all right. So he pulls over, picks him up. So the guy who's been praying for him is picking up the guy he's been praying for and doesn't, doesn't know. <laughs> so they end up in the, the front of this band together. One of them crying out to God saying, give me a sign. One of them crying out to God to heal this person and to save this person. They end up in the cab together. Nobody knows, they don't know who each other are. They're driving and, and driving to the school. He's taking him to USF to teach and driving to the school and God begins to deal with the driver, witness to him, share Jesus with him. He's like, God, come on, I already picked the dude up. Like, isn't servant evangelism enough? So he looks over to him and says, so do you know Jesus? This dude's been praying for two days and fasting going, Jesus, if you're real, show me. He just starts weeping, just starts crying. Driver doesn't even know what's going on. Long story short, a hostile takeover happened in that church, in that van, happened in that van and dark became light and he got radically saved. And now he has a whole ministry that deals with different things with yoga and blah, blah, blah. Why, why? Because somebody chose to step into darkness, not run away from it. Your prayers are powerful. Restoration room tonight, you can, you can shift things. You, you don't know that what you're praying for tonight, somebody else might be doing on their doorstep. And tonight is a night to light the night. Stop complaining about darkness and let's be people who light it up for Jesus Christ. Joshua said in Deuteronomy, today I set before you blessings and cursings, curses. Good and bad are both at your doorstep. Choose which one you're gonna take. James would say it this way. He would say the judge is standing at the door. Revelation would famously say, Jesus would say in Revelation, here I am. I also stand at the door. I'm there too, like all these things we're talking about. I'm there. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. In other words, I'll have relationship with them. It's symbolic for the door of your heart. It's not a physical door in this case. There's some of you here in this service this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior. And today is your day to go from darkness to light. Today is your day to give yourself over to the King of Kings. And there's a territory shift that'll happen in your spirit. And you won't want the same things. You won't desire the same things. Everything starts to shift internally and you will become a new person. Jesus would say, you are born again. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.